you know, there are, uh, I suppose there are some parts of growing up that, that would be okay to repeat and that I might uh, enjoy doing again. Uh, but for the most part, I, I wouldn't want to go back. Um, I, uh, I, I don't, uh, there's just some things that I wouldn't want to experience again, and I feel like I've worked too hard to get to where I'm at. You think about growing up, and I hear people, you know, talk about good old days and talk about wanting to go back and repeat certain things, and I just, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't. I don't think I would want to do that. I've worked too hard to get this far. Uh, I'll just stay where I am and, and keep moving forward. Um, and, you know, my, my mom and dad did uh, a, as good as they could with, you know, what they had to work with. Um, I'm not sure it was much, but they did the best they could. My sister was, um, she surpassed me in, in many ways. And I was sharing with someone not too long ago that she was she was tested. Her her teachers, uh, when she was in elementary school, um, maybe approaching middle school age, thought that maybe she was a gifted student and asked for permission to to give her special testing. And and uh, my mom and dad gave their consent. And at about uh, I think fifth or sixth grade, they said that she tested at a level of about a high school graduate, about an 18-year-old, and I had to follow her all through school. And I remember the first day going into the homeroom class where uh, it was my first time, my first day to be there. She was in eighth grade. She'd already been there a couple of years. I was coming in in fifth grade. And um, the, one of the homeroom teachers uh, said, oh, you're Joy's brother. Well, you have a lot to live up to. Nothing like pressure, right? <clears throat> well, one of the things I remember my mom telling me, something you've probably heard before, it, it's uh, common advice. There's a little saying, can't, never, could do anything. Any of you ever have somebody tell you that? You know, that's when you are discouraged and want to quit, that's not what you want to hear, right? Can't, never, could do anything. No, don't, I'm, just, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to stop, but... You know, various times throughout my childhood, I remember, <clears throat> honestly, I remember trying to learn how to tie my shoes and being very frustrated and thinking, I am just not going to get this. Well, can't, never could do anything. My kids have, my kids have my stilts. Uh, my dad, or actually, my granddad, made stilts for all of the, uh, uh, all of his grandkids, me and my cousins, and we had stilts. and And uh, I remember trying at about, oh, I suppose I was seven or eight years old. My kids picked it up a lot quicker than I did, but uh, it took me a while to to get the hang of walking on stilts. And 
I was really interested in doing that because my granddad told us stories about how they had, and he said, if you learn how to do it, learn how to do it well, I, I will raise the, the step. I'll raise it so it's higher. And uh, he told us stories about when he was a kid. They had stilts so that they could, they had them so high they could step over fences with their stilts, you know. And, uh, but I tried and tried and got frustrated and just said, I just can't do it. And you know what I heard? Well, can't never could do anything. But, you know, it is a mark of the young and the immature to get weary with trying quickly and to be tempted to throw in the towel, and rather than endure and persevere, to give up when the growing or when the going gets tough. And someone has said, some grow old who never grow up. Some grow old who never grow up. I've been perhaps accused of that, but... Uh, I hope that God is helping me to learn perseverance. In this first portion of James chapter 1, I want to talk to you for just a few moments from these words about turning trials into triumphs. James says here, beginning in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Holy Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the inspiration that we find there. Lord Jesus, would you help us to be people who are learning how to endure? We do not ask for trouble and trial, but we know that simply living from day to day will bring trouble and trials to us. And Lord, when that happens, as it surely will, help us to look to you for the wisdom that comes from you and to persevere and find that you are helping us to grow in grace and to be more than conquerors through your spirit and through your love. In Jesus' name, amen. 
There are four imperatives in this passage of Scripture that we as Christians are called to obey in order to endure and triumph when we face times of trouble and testing and trial. The first imperative is one word, simply this, count. Count. We find it in verse 2 where he says, count it all joy. And he admonishes us to have a joyful attitude when we experience trouble and trials. To which I want to say, that's easy for you to say, right? You think about, uh, you know, being in trials and difficulties and, and, uh, I want to tell you this evening, I, I don't say these things lightly, and I don't think that James wrote these words lightly either. I believe that he was a man who experienced the troubles and trials of living uh, as part of the, the kingdom of Jesus in the first century, the days of the early church when they were experiencing persecution and trouble and trial of all kinds. And James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kind. That word count is an accountant's term. It's an accountant's term. It means to evaluate. To evaluate. To evaluate means to determine by values. To determine by values. In other words, you, you look at, at what you have and you place a value on it. And when we look at our trials and our troubles, we are to give them value. We're to look at them in, in the light of um, not necessarily wishing we could get rid of it or throw it away or do without it, but to look at it and say, this is something of value to me. Wow, that's a tall order, isn't it? Well, how are we to evaluate our troubles, our trials, and count it all joy? Well, for one, we should consider character more than comfort. Character more than comfort. Yes, we all like to be comfortable. I like to be comfortable. I like to go into my living room and sit down in my recliner and uh, push the little button on the side. It's one of the new fancy kinds. It's not got the lever that you have to crank back to get the deal to sit up. It's, it plugs into the wall and has a little button. You push the button and the feet go up and then the back goes back and... And it's just very nice and comfortable, and if I want to sit there and read, I can do that, or, or maybe occasionally have a little snooze. I like to be comfortable. But, you know, friends, character counts more than comfort. And God has called us not to be people who are just comfortable, but to be people who are growing in Christ-like character. We are to evaluate our trials and consider it joy when they come because character counts more than comfort. 
we are to value the spiritual more than the material or the physical. What is material and physical is passing away, is only temporary and will not last. But friends, we have a spirit that is eternal and will go on somewhere forever. And it is when we are going through trouble and difficulty and trial uh, that we find those are the things God uses. And I, you know, somebody some time ago wrote a book, something about an inconvenient truth. That may not be, if I, I think I remember maybe who wrote that book. Um, probably not a real popular person with most of us, but. There is a, I think his inconvenient truth was something about climate change. Is that right? So those of you that remember, you remember what I'm talking about. You know, to me, there's a truth much more inconvenient than that. And that is the truth that I have never grown or developed significantly in either character or spirituality through the good times in my life, through the times of blessing in my life. I, I've certainly enjoyed those times, and I'm grateful for those times of blessing. But the most inconvenient truth to me is that the greatest growth, the greatest development that I've ever experienced has come through times of difficulty and challenge. I don't like that, but it's true. It's true. We evaluate character to be of more value than comfort, the spiritual more than the material and the physical, and the future as greater than the present. When I was a boy growing up, after my dad had pastored for about 10 years and we went into evangelistic work, we lived just down the driveway. We shared a driveway with my grandparents who uh, had been in evangelistic work for a lot of years, uh, years gone by, and, and uh, they had long since retired and been unable to travel, uh, and uh, we would, when we would be leaving to go out in meetings, uh, we would pass by their house where they lived, and without fail, we always stopped by uh, to see them and speak with them, and my granddad and grandmother would pray with us, and, and sometime in the, that time frame of probably about 15 or 20 minutes that we would spend with them before we would go out on the road to wherever our, our revival meetings took us, my grandmother usually was the one to say to us, remember children, you're building for eternity. You're building for eternity. And, and it's that, those kind of words stick in my memory. As much as I like to be comfortable in the here and now, it is so crucial that all of us remember that we are building not just for the here and now, but we're building for eternity. We need to evaluate character more than comfort, spiritual more than the material or the physical, and the future as greater than the present. Count it all joy, he says. The second imperative that he shares with us is from verse 3, and that is to know, to know. Verse 3, he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And to know is simply the idea of having an understanding mind. In other words, there are some things that we as Christians ought to know 
that will help us to face the troubles and trials of life if we keep them in our, in our thinking, if we keep them in our minds, they will help us to face trials. So what is it that Christians know that should help us turn trials into triumphs? What is it we ought to know, we ought to remember? The first thing is simply this, that faith is always tested. Faith is always tested. It is, it is a simple reality. And in fact, I, I personally don't feel that faith has much value until it has been tested. One of the things that we see in Jesus' parable of the sower, those, the one that sows seed, is, is this, uh, the picture of some who, uh, when the seed is sown in the soil of their heart, the seed takes root and, and comes up quickly, but then it withers and dies quickly. And I think one of the things that that indicates is simply those that find when their faith is tested, their roots have not gone down deeply enough into the soil for them to stand up to the testing. We need to remember that faith is always tested and just realize that it is a reality of life. Know also that testing works for us and not against us. Isn't that an encouragement? We ought to know, yes, we're going to face trouble and we're going to face trials, but just if you can remember, if we can realize that testing works to our advantage, it is to our benefit, it is not against us. Know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Testing works for us and not against us. Third, trials rightly used help us to mature and grow in our faith. If we know these things, if we understand these things and remember them in our troubles and in our trials, it will help us to face those troubles and trials. No, the third imperative that we find is the word let. Let, and that communicates to us the idea of a surrendered will. We find it in verse 4, and then verses 9 through 12. Verse 4 says, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the rich boast in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. So this is really the idea of cooperation. Cooperation. When you let something happen, you are surrendered to it. You're just, you're, you're letting it happen. Cooperation. And you know, friends, God cannot work the way he would like to in our hearts and lives without our cooperation. In fact, he really can't work at all in our lives without our cooperation. I've heard it said, someone, I think it was Leonard Bernstein, the most difficult instrument in the orchestra to play. Some of you may have read or heard this before. Um, 
People talk about the difficulty of different types of instruments. I've heard the French horn is a very difficult instrument to play. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've heard. But according to Leonard Bernstein, the composer and conductor, the most difficult instrument in, in the orchestra to play is second fiddle. He said, I can find any number of people who are willing to play first chair violin. In other words, there are great numbers. There are no shortage of people that are willing to be the principal performer. They're willing to, to take the lead and be up front. But when it comes to being in a lesser role, but one that requires cooperation with the one who is leading the way, that's when you have a real challenge to find someone who not only has the talent, the skill, the ability, but also the one who is willing to let somebody else shine. And they are simply in a complementary role. Cooperation. But, you know, I, as I was thinking about this, I realized there is a second level of cooperation you know, it's one thing to be, to be part of a team and actively engaged in working towards accomplishing something. I, I heard somebody say, I think it was Ronald Reagan, that had a plaque on his desk that read something, something like, there's no limit to what you can accomplish when nobody cares who gets the credit. That's very true. But there's another level of cooperation that would be cooperation plus trust. You think about being in a dentist chair. There is a reality where you are having to cooperate with the dentist so that he or she can do the work that needs doing in your mouth. But, you know, you're not doing anything except laying there. And that is cooperation plus trust. You are simply saying, I'm, here I am, I'm in your hands, and I'm trusting you to do with me what you want to do. And friends, that is what we are called to as Christians when we think about the troubles and the trials that we experience is to let patience or let steadfastness have its full effect to be not only in cooperation with God that says I'll, I'll work with you and do what you want me to do but times when we will simply say I am yielded clay in the hands of a potter and I'm trusting the potter to make me into a vessel of honor for his glory I'm not doing anything I'm just simply resting here and there are sometimes, friends, in our moments of trouble and trial, when there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can do to resolve uh, or, or, or help with the issue that we're facing, but simply to say, okay, Lord, here I am, I'm resting in you. <clears throat> the final imperative that we find in this is ask ask that is to have a believing heart look at verses five through eight if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god who gives generously to all without reproach 
and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. So we must ask. We ask in faith. We ask in faith. That is a, a believing, trusting heart. That is asking, believing that God wants to respond and that he will respond and to believe without doubt without doubt now i know friends that sometimes that's a challenge all of you have lived long enough to have experienced one degree of trial or another in your life and some have experienced a a lifetime it may feel of trouble and trial and difficulty. And I've lived long enough, and I know some of you have lived long enough to experience what it feels like to be going through trouble and trial, and it seems like you've asked and you've prayed and, and you've sought God, but He has not come through to relieve the difficulty that you're experiencing, and, and you come to a point of, of frustration and Wondering, what am, I, what am I supposed to do with this? And I would simply have to say, keep asking and keep believing. When we're in trouble, when we're dealing with trials that we hope to see turn into triumph, what is it that we may tend to doubt the most? To me, I think it is the possibility of doubting the goodness of God or the perhaps the reality that God really hears, that he really sees or he really knows. And friends, what I want to tell you this evening is do not, whatever you do, do not doubt the goodness of God. If you have to stand with Job in the ash pile and look at the, the debris of your life and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do not doubt the goodness of God. When you're in trouble, when you're in trials, experiencing difficulty, Ask him and continue to believe. If it, if it defies all logic, I think that's what Job's wife thought. I think she thought, Job, it defies all logic for you to continue believing and trusting in God. Why don't you just curse God and die? Job said, you, you don't, you're speaking like one of the foolish women speak. And friends, there may be times when it seems it defies all logic to continue believing and trusting in God. But the reality is we can believe, we can trust God. And in God's kingdom, there is no lasting harm that can come to us. Temporary harm, yes, but no lasting harm. Well, what is the result? The result of this we find in verse 12 is that uh, we are blessed. We are blessed. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Not only are we blessed, but we experience growth in character. It is through our troubles and trials that we grow and we develop. And, 
And yes, it may hurt, it may be painful at the time, but it's through those experiences that God chips away and knocks off the rough edges of our life and we grow. God is honored when we trust him through our trials and our testing. And ultimately, we receive the crown of life, the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. A man named Edgar Guest has given us these words. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow, you may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup, and he learned too late when the night came down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And when you never can tell how close you are, it may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. So friends, don't quit. God is at work in us, around us, and through us. And if you are in a trial, hang in there, count it all joy, trust God, ask him to help you. And if you're not in a trial, wait a little bit, wait a little bit. Let's stand together.